Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. him before him but she came not likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media, Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath if it please the king let there go a royal commandment from him let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered that Vashti come no more before the king before king Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. When the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great. All the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both too great and small. And the same pleased the king and the princes. And the king did according to the word of Mimukin. For he sent letters unto all the king's provinces to every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language that every man should bear rule in his own house and that it should be published according to the language of every people now i was going to teach this last week i'm not taking advantage of our ladies that are not here and this title is not as it as you may perceive it but my title tonight is put her in her place all right (laughs) put her now you know why i said what i said put her in her place all right let's pray tonight that the lord would help us i if i didn't say something someone's taking notes right now so i'm gonna send this to sister mcgee lord jesus we come before you tonight we're so thankful god for our opportunity to be here our opportunity to worship and praise and magnify the king of glory I pray, oh God, open our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus, to your word, God, yet again. God, that we can see, Lord Jesus, what you would say to us this evening. And we'll be mindful of it in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated in your place. (laughs) You're laughing a little too much there, Brother Trout. Your wife's sitting next to you. You're going to have a few sore ribs there on that side, I'm just telling you. (laughs) What's really coming into question here in this portion of chapter number one is the mindset of perhaps the king, but particularly one of his chamberlains, uh, Mamukin, the whole idea about whether obedience equals honor, whether obedience equals honor. Remember that King Ahasuerus, the seven-day feast where there was no law concerning how much wine that they would drink they could have as much as they wanted or as least amount as they wanted and uh, we we concluded a couple of weeks ago that whenever there's no law for something people are probably going to test it to its extent right um, so it's quite possibly we have some drunken men here a drunken king the bible says that his heart was merry with the wine uh, which can be mean happy, but uh, it also can mean just flat out drunk. So a drunken king is relying then on the advice of his seven wise wise men. 
as they're called in scripture this is getting better all the time <laughs> seven wise men which uh, chamberlains or wise men which was his custom he had people that advisors that he consulted or wise men that he consulted however what we must understand about these men that are in his inner circle uh, they secured their row and they got their placement of being near to the king and being an advisor to the king because many times these type of people were just yes men you understand what i'm saying when i say yes men that was someone that's leading that has other people close to him that's just going to say yes to everything that they say not be a true sounding board if they see something that could be going south they won't ever raise their voice they'll say yeah i'll do it so on and so forth and so a lot of these guys want to find favor in the eyes of the king they want to keep that place close to the king right because it's clout it's prestige all of that and so they do whatever keeps the king happy even if he's wrong right and so these type of men are giving advice to the king they want to be pleasing to the king and so in their mind if they are going if they're if they contradict the the thoughts or the ideas of the king they could be looking for another job right they could be looking for another place in the kingdom the king might dispose them and they would lose audience with the king if they don't say yes king that's right and so with all of that being said these men having access to the king which they did the bible tells us in verse number 14 it says which which it is speaking of these men these seven men these chamberlains which saw the king's face the new living translation says it like this they met uh, the king with the king regularly they met with the king regularly and so these wise men understand uh, according to what we have read that the king believes that something should be done to queen vashti because she did not come when he said come and she did not do what the king commanded in verse number 15 he believes something ought to be done remember she was called to come in uh, before these other men which from what we can glean from scripture was probably predominantly men uh, predominantly drunk men uh, come in parade herself her beauty quote-unquote before all these people which we a couple weeks ago said that's probably just not going to be a real good scenario some beautiful lady parading among a bunch of drunk men and so she refuses and the king believes that something ought to be done right because in his mind he's kind of consulting with his chamberlains what's going what what should happen to someone that disobeys the king right and so though we think that on one hand the king may have never even asked Vashti to come had he not been under the influence right he might not even made that hair break i mean that yeah uh, that decision had 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 he been in his right mind but nonetheless here we are so what now he's also you know he, this conversation is going on she did not come so you know sometimes one bad decision leads to another bad decision and so uh what what should be done towards someone that disobeys the king and this this very question or this very idea this whole concept of obedience uh equaling honor type of mentality is something that's going to be used uh against the king later with haman in the story the one that asked that the jews would be uh, annihilated he's going to use this type of mentality that the king has this obedience and honor thing for his his benefit haman's going to come later and play and I, I say this from what I can read in Scripture that Ahasuerus may be, have a, 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 some insecurities, all right? He might not be the most secure man. 
might have some insecurities. And so uh, he, Haman's going to play up on this idea of a certain people as he presents it, which was the Jewish people. He's going to present them unto the king as people that don't obey the king, don't, oh, don't obey the laws of the land. They're not showing honor. And so, again, using that to his advantage. Uh, to see where that's at, Esther 3 and verse number 8, later in the story we'll get to, the Bible says that Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of that kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Because look, we're going to see how he's going to uh, respond to the advice of his advisors, and they're going to get rid of Ashti, right? They're going to get rid of her, sell her on down the, the proverbial road, you know? And so now Haman later in time, knowing how he dealt with someone, look, mind you, this is not just any someone. This is a woman, all right, yes, but this is... Uh, uh, someone that's under his command as king, yes. But more prominently, this is his queen, right? This is his wife. So Haman, looking back how he dealt with someone like that that didn't obey, surely he's thinking we're going to get somewhere good if I say a certain people did not obey as well. And so the king, though, understand at this moment, the king is not interested in whether the disobedience or what he's calling the disobedience of Vashti is justifiable or not because he's king he's a man he's got the power of 127 provinces he rules lands defeats armies eats a lamb's leg drinks wine till he's drunk he's a man yet he seems to forget being intoxicated that this same woman is also his wife And there are, if you'll allow me to segue just a little bit today, all right, because really that's what even Memukin brings into the picture. It's not so much king-queen. It really is a man-woman thing that comes into the picture. It's really a husband-wife thing that comes into the picture. And there are, many, there are many men that crow about being the head of the house. Okay. <laughs> I knew if the ladies weren't here, I wouldn't have no help. Men that crow about being the head of the house or the king of their domain and they expect honor and they expect respect because of being the king of their house and the, the, the one of their domain. And I would dare say that uh, wives and children would probably give such a man uh, love and respect and honor if he for sure treated them like the scripture says a man ought to treat his wife and love her because earthly kings make mistakes we know that right for that matter husbands make mistakes fathers make mistakes and sometimes the way that people of uh, uh, household children even wives the way that they may respond to their husband uh, they might have a justifiable reason for quote-unquote disobedience if that makes sense Again, Vashti didn't go in before the king because she was protecting her own dignity because he was in a position at that moment he wasn't going to. Amen? And so uh, here's a king that's compromised emotionally whenever he demanded such and such. And so chapter 1 really showcases to a certain degree 
not just within the household, but overall when we see Haman taking advantage of the same idea of what the king does to people that disobeys him. We're looking in chapter 1 a little bit about some abusive worldly power. Abusive, a man in authority that is abusing worldly power, not just in his instance with his own wife, but later even with the Jews. Yeah, I'll do write what's written, take my ring, seal it. Yeah, we'll just take care of all these people that don't obey. But in some essence, Esther overall is a story about how God saves us from abusive earthly power. Amen. The king and his advisors, yes, they are to a certain degree of abusing their power. They're, they're demanding respect and they're demanding honor. And from what I know from Scripture, true biblical headship, and I know that they're Persian, but I'm talking about us, right? I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about the Bible, Bible. True biblical headship is, is self-sacrificing. It's self-sacrificing. It's self-sacrificing love for the bride. At least that's as it's pictured in Ephesians. Self-sacrificing love for the bride. And as a result of this, then respect is returned to the groom. And in, in the example of Christ and his church, uh, the Bible talks about, and we'll look at here in a little bit, how he loved the church and how he loved the church first. He loved us first, and that's the only reason why we're able to return any love to him, because he loved us first. But look at some of this headship thing between man and woman, husband and wife in Scripture, Ephesians 5 and verse 21. And it's important that we read verse 21 because many go just to verse 22 and they don't read verse 21. They just want to read verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. There's a lot of men that like to read verse 22. To protect their obedience equals honor stuff. Wives, submit, but they don't read verse 21, which says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God or in the awe and in the reverence of God Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Going now to 1 Corinthians, just keep these things in mind. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 3, but I would have you, Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, I would have you know that the head or the authority of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. Head is authority or source, all right? Authority or source. So the authority or source of every, every man is Christ. The authority or source of every woman is the man. Literally, Eve came from the rib of Adam. If, talking about source, authority. And the head of Christ is God. Now here's the thing. Respect and honor in the Persian world with Ahasuerus and Vashti and all of that, it seems to be demanded, or at least... It is whenever a king is drunk and evidently when he's not drunk when Haman comes to him later. It, it is demanded. But according to the Bible, when we talk about this wife-husband relationship, because that's what I'm concentrating on really uh, with Ahasuerus and Vashti, more than this king-queen thing, this was a husband and a wife, all right, that when we look at this according to our Bible, your wives, all right, now hopefully you just have one. I'm just saying it plural because we have more than one man. Okay, <laughs> I'm not endorsing anything just in case someone wants to take something out of context here. Hallelujah. <laughs> no concubines or none of that stuff. Amen. Uh, your wives will submit herself unto you as unto the Lord, predominantly because you have submitted yourself 
unto the Lord. The head of the man is the the head of the man, or the head of the woman is the man, but the head of the man is Christ. She can submit to him because he is submitted unto the Lord. In reality, indirectly, if we cut out the middle man, literally, when she submits to a man that's submitted to God, it's as if she's submitting to God. And so, sometimes we see what we may consider or look like unsubmission or no submission to a man. Maybe, and, and please understand, I'm just saying this, it's more likely that a woman will be in right alignment with her husband whenever that husband is in right alignment with God. Whenever his alignment gets messed up, there are going to be some things, listen to me, there will be some things that flow from him to her that she will not be in agreement with because it's not in agreement with who she's trying to... Okay? Does everybody understand what I'm saying here? And so, again, all of this is important. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, continuing Ephesians 5 there, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself... For it, skipping down to verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Men ought to love their wives as his own body. Right? So when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. Verse 29, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. All right? There may be some real extreme rare cases out there but most people pander to themselves. Amen. And so, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And so, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. So we're to love, we're to be self-sacrificing for our wives, we're to love them as our own bodies, right? And we are to, if we, if, if, if we don't hate our own bodies, but we cherish it and nurse it, and we're supposed to love her like it, then we should cherish and nourish her. Amen. And so again, biblical headship and attitude is that husbands loving their wives is self-sacrificing in a self-sacrificing type way. <clears throat> Verse number 33 of Ephesians 5, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence, everybody say reverence, reverence her husband. This happens whenever there is healthy relationships of man with his God. Let me retrace this. This is more likely to happen all right, because I don't want to paint with a real broad brush, but this is more likely to happen healthy relationships when man is in alignment with his God, then the wife and husband will be in proper alignment with each other. And as that man loves her, she will respect or reverence him. There will be proper balance, right? It's not a husband demanding honor. 
commanding it, saying that's due to me. No. The honor that he receives from his wife is provoked by the love that he shows to her. Amen. Amen. And so we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to entangle fear and honor in the husband-wife relationship, in the Ahasuerus-Vashti relationship. We don't want to confuse fear and honor. We don't want them to be confused because there is a difference between a wife fearing her husband and what he might do if she doesn't do such and such or what he quote-unquote likes. There's a difference in that and her honoring him honoring him because he's a loving man because he's a loving man does that man make mistakes absolutely does he mess up absolutely but why does she still honor him because he's gentle and he loves her despite the mistakes she makes too amen and so Disobedience to Memukan and the king right now is this. Disobedience, their misunderstanding as Vashti isn't honoring the king. For that matter, Memukan takes it to another level. It's not only that, she's not, she's not, she's done dishonor to all men. Boy, we really got some stereotypes going here in chapter number one. Memukan fears disrespect. He fears disrespect. He sees Vashti's reluctance as a disrespect and that it's not acceptable. It's not an acceptable denial, although she's protecting her own integrity in, what, in not going before the king in that moment. He believes, Memukam believes, that respect can be forced. In reality, in verses 17 through 19, he believes that it can be forced. And that's why Vashti is to come Whenever the, the final plea is given and charged for her, she's to come no more into the king's presence and they're going to find a replacement for her that's better than she. Why? Because she didn't respect the king. She, 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 she didn't respect mankind. Uh, husbands are going to be totally disrespected in their households now. Uh, this will make every wife think if they can displace Vashti and they can get rid of her and send her down her way this will make every wife think twice about denying any request of her husband well if if honor is demanded I, I guess so but if we have a biblical mind frame of a husband and wife there are some times that the no from the opposite sex may be more of a protection to us than our yes would have been. Michael V. Fox, again, this is not Michael J. Fox. Michael, I'll probably say that this whole series. Michael V. Fox says, if a man's honor depends on his ability to dominate his wife, then any failure to enforce obedience, whether proper or not, is tantamount or equal to male disgrace. I want to read that one more time. Because if a man's honor depends 
on his ability to dominate his wife than any failure to enforce obedience. In other words, when he doesn't get his way, when he wants it, then it's just equal to being disgraced because he thinks honor depends on me being king. Strong arm, strong foot, that's where she belongs. And whenever, I call that blind obedience, is what I call that, blind obedience. And so whenever men equate blind obedience, or they want blind obedience, and they equate that with honor or respect toward them, then what they've really done is set themselves up on a pedestal of perfection. Because she will, and thank God, our wives sometimes deny us at times, not because she's not submissive, but because she's really protecting your honor by not following through with something that's just stupid. Well, she may, her, her I don't think so, or maybe we shouldn't, may be really protecting you from any damage for your own integrity. Case in point, in the Old Testament story of 1 Samuel, chapter number 25, we have the story of a lady by the name of Abigail and Nabal. Abigail will later become married to David. But at this point in time, it's Abigail and Nabal, all right? She is the wife of Nabal. And the Bible says, and you can always take this to the bank when the Bible says this, speaking of Abigail, that she had good understanding and she, was a be- she had a beautiful countenance. And so she protected her husband Nabal in reality because David and his, his men uh, had time that they were in the same area as Nabal's pasture and sheep. And while they were there, they made sure that there were no thieves or robbers, that the sheep were protected and taken care of. And it came the time of the shearing of the sheep. And David thought he would send someone to Nabal and say, hey, you know, we're part of David's clan. I, I hear the, the sheep are being sheared. So they were hoping to get something in return for the service that they had provided to Nabal. And what did Nabal say, which his name, Abigail says, means a fool? He said, forget it. I don't know who you're talking about, David, who? And as a result of this, whenever word got back to David about Nabal saying, David, who? He got together like, I think it was around 400 of his 600 men, and with armor and with swords and weapons and they're going to snuff Nabal off the face of the earth (laughs) you know what and so as they're going and making their way here is Nabal he made a mistake clearly someone even under his authority in 1 Samuel 25 verse 17 speaking of Nabal says that a man cannot speak to him he said Nabal such a man you just can't say anything to Nabal I guarantee if that happened in Uh, happened in society just with other men it probably happened in his home too you just can't you just can't say anything to that man oh god help me he wasn't thankful for the watch five david he wasn't thankful for the men that was helping watch that had helped watch over his foes and so listen to me had nabal known about abigail's intentions because he didn't Verse 19 tells us she told not her husband 
on one side, probably because she knew you just can't say anything to Nabal. You can't reason with this man. She goes, she takes some figs and she takes some foods and you can read it there in 1 Samuel chapter number uh, 25 of everything that she takes. She goes to meet David, as David's riding heavy with the Calvary, you know, to take care of Nabal. She goes to meet David, and here's what I want you to understand. Oh, someone might say, I can't believe she's doing that without her husband's knowledge. Listen, she wasn't dishonoring her husband. She's on the verge of protecting him from some grave danger. She, listen, she was honoring him in reality by writing a mistake that would have shamed him. 1 Samuel 25, verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal, and Nabal's heart was, look at this again. This is peculiar. You need to start picking up on this in Scripture. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Who else was drunken whenever he made a stupid choice? Wherefore, she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. All right? Why? Because it had been useless. He's a drunken man. And if you couldn't reason with him when he was sober, you for sure can't when he's drunk. Huh? Verse 37. But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal. This is your Bibles. And his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as stone. Because once she had her meeting with David, David didn't go. He didn't go with his... Nabal's still living. Let's just say that. Enough proven, all right? Uh, he's still alive. And so here's all this. His, his heart now dies within him and he became stone. What well, In my estimation, this is just Paul McGee estimation. This is nothing more but showcasing a man that's embarrassed that his wife would go around him and dishonor him like that. When in reality, he was misunderstanding her love. Mm -hmm. He's misunderstanding her love. Someone say amen. Now I want to talk to you about DWIs. For me, it's decisions while intoxicated, okay. <laughs> decisions while intoxicated. As we know from a few weeks back, here we have this drunken King Hazarus. Again, he asked Vashti out. wasn't necessarily appropriate for him to ask her what he did to parade herself with all these men that are drunken. And uh, case in point with Nabal and Ahasuerus, you just do not make rational decisions while intoxicated. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, and I know this is the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Uh, chapter, but before it gets into that, we have a mother that's addressing her son, King Lemuel. <laughs> and she, her advice to her son is this, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of of any of the afflicted. You know what that mama was telling her son who was king? She was, listen here, a king has to be in a position that he can make sound judgments. And that's what his office requires. He's going to have people paraded in before him, maybe certain days of the week, many, many people with decisions that need to be made. And a drunken king can't make a rational decision. It's going to skew his 
judgment. It's going to cloud his judgment. He, he, in that compromised state, he very well could pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted because drunkenness genders poor decisions. Look at Proverbs 23, and these are just a few uh, verses sharing from the Bible. There's many others, but Proverbs 23 and verse number 29, and I'm going to read all of this to, to 35. There's a few verses, but just listen to this, all right? Listen to this. Who, questions, who hath woe? Who has sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Look at verse 33. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. When? When intoxicated. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as, as he that lieth up on the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake, and I will seek it yet again? Good, good, good verses there. Look at all those questions that was asked there in the beginning, and then it told us who does. I'll tell you who. The one that's intoxicated. Hazarus may not have asked again that perverse thing of Vashti had he been about his wits. Nonetheless, nonetheless, he did ask, yet he expected no refusal, yet he was refused. And Mamukin again gives the offense here. This is not king. This is not just done against you. This is done against all the husbands throughout the kingdom. Because according to him, Vashti did more than wrong the king. She wronged all men. Now notice, remember what I said about these visors of the king? They want to stay in good, good favor with the king. Yes, king, yes. No one wants to point out that the king may have did something incorrect. <laughs> Less off with your head. <laughs> right? No one wants to do that. And so he just amplifies it. This is against all men of the kingdom. It's interesting that all of the advisors to the king were men. <laughs> no one's saying any different. This is just me thinking outside the box just a little bit. I wonder what another woman's opinion might have been of Ashtai's actions. We're hearing about what from all men what they're saying, maybe trying to pet the king's own views at the time. But I wonder what another woman would have said. Sincerely, Bishop. If the tables were turned and saying, you lady over there, you come in and parade before all these drunken men. Amen? Vashti may have inspired other women to fight for their dignity as well. They say they're just going to be a bunch of disobedient women out there. Oh, well, maybe, maybe she's just inspiring someone to fight for their dignity as well. According to Mamukin's thoughts, other women, including the noble ladies, he said they're going to react the same way that the queen reacted, right or wrong. Wrong. They're going to use what the queen did as leverage in their households because he's arguing that Vashti responded. It was blatant disobedience. 
And every wife now was going to disrespect her husband. So <clears throat> Mamukin is really starting to portray for us as we're getting into the book of Esther, according to him and they, the clout and the power that the queen of Persia may have. Her voice and behavior, right? Having the ability to sway throughout the kingdom. And don't get me wrong, I understand that a, a, a leader's actions and a leader's behavior does affect how they lead. I'm not going to refute that at all. <clears throat> but I also understand there's seven men standing right around the king that's vying for his favor and his attention, that's willing to say whatever to keep it. Justify Ahasuerus' anger. Make him feel good. Don't make him think that he was a drunken fool and made a bad choice at the bad time. Mamukin, he's very, he's very cunning. Notice him. He's very cunning in redirecting the attention from the king that this has been done to all men. Right? Making it worse than what it was. Maybe this has been done to all men. What happens when he does that? King, this isn't you only, but this is against all men. He's lightening the responsibility of what the king had in it. Hmm? Amen. So Mamukin hints that Vashti's response, King, it really don't have anything to do with your request. This is an attack on manhood. <laughs> this is an attack on manhood. Good job, Mamukin. You can stay as a king's chamberlain. You're going to work here for several more years. I like your style. Not only that, Mamukin turns this whole thing into a power battle between husbands and wives, men and women at, at, at least, husbands and wives. Because here, if one woman can alter the whole Persian Empire, then it's not nearly as powerful as they thought it was. Especially if they needed, listen, they had to have a decree in order to bring honor to back to the palace and to the households of the kingdom. What is that? Forced. Forced. Now I want to talk about putting her in her place. <laughs> Predominantly, she knows her place. Because what everything has just done here in Esther chapter number one has set the stage for another woman by the name of Esther, who is in her time of being the Persian queen, guess what she's going to have to do? Deal with predominantly men. Haman, Mordecai, King Ahasuerus. And she's going to work with these men until she gets a decree that's set forth in order for her people, the Jews, to be able to defend themselves against the destruction that Haman wanted to come upon them. She is a woman, and from what I read, she is a woman living during some very stereotypical times of man-wife. Me man club, you wife submit. In the Persian Empire. But she's coming into this. Most, if not all, Biblical women, whenever you look at biblical women in Scripture, they are mostly usually known for the sons that they bear. Hannah, she's known because of her son Samuel. 
that would become priest. Sarah, she's known for her son Isaac and the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Rebecca, she's known for Jacob that the 12 tribes will flow out of. Manoah's wife, she don't even have a name in Scripture. She's just called Manoah's wife. Samson's mother, known for her son Samson. Even whenever you look at Ruth in Scripture, who has uh, Obed, who's going to follow into the line in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, known for the son predominantly, really, that she bore. But Esther, not known for a child that she has. She's not known for a son that is born. She has the fingerprints of God upon her, although she failed early on. Which is a marvel, right? Which proves that you can have the workings of God upon your life, though you may have had failures and mistakes in your life. And so she comes at a time whenever these all these men, and with God's help and with God's aid, she utilizes the power of men to steer her people from a crisis. Oh, the marvel and the power of a woman. Amen. And when she begins this process, whenever she actually begins this process, she lays all the deceptions aside. She owns the fact that she is a Jew rather than denying it or keeping it hidden. She now owns the fact that she is a Jew and she owns that something must be done and so she does it. So here is Esther, as we'll see in weeks come by. She is a Jewish woman that's made some mistakes. All right? But God is going to use her in a marvelous, marvelous way. And the interesting thing for me is this. Vashti is eliminated from the Persian Empire because she did not come when Ahasuerus wanted her to come. But Esther comes into the king's presence when she wasn't asked to come. And things fared well. There's been a shift. There's something that happens. A portion of verse number 19 in the Message Bible states this, and I'll wrap it up. A portion of verse 19 in the Message Bible states this. And then let the king give her royal position to a woman who knows her place. Mamukan is the one speaking all this, speaking to Vashti. Let her be replaced with someone that's better. Let her position be given to someone that's better. He's referencing knowing her place as that blind obedience. Let, it, let some woman come along that knows her place. Right? But in Esther's world, knowing her place was embracing who she was, a Jew by identity, and therefore... Embracing her God, knowing her place, was not hiding that identity anymore, but knowing her God-ordained spot for such a time as this. She knew her place. If you'll stand with me.
do not lead with when your wife gets home from ladies retreat but brother McGee told us to put you in your place <clears throat> I advise giving some background to that amen let's pray tonight that God would help us touch us this week father we need you I pray oh God help us to be what we need to be Help us, God, not to follow the example, Lord, of a pagan king as a hazardous Lord or others like Nabal, but help us, Lord, to practice, God, the biblical Lord Jesus measures and hedges. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.